Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, the Julia to my George, it's Christian Ubius. Christian, how are you today? I have some thoughts on the movies that we have seen. That being said, outside of those thoughts, yesterday I invited some people over, showed them Silver Linings Playbook. Everyone loved it. Everyone had a great time. There you go. Congratulations, everybody who has now seen Silver Linings Playbook. I I feel like I did something similar when that movie had just come out. It was like a it was a good one to watch with friends because J Law, B Coop, everybody loves Robert De Niro especially young people, you know, so <laughs> good to hear about a successful movie night. Meanwhile, I got to see Ticket to Paradise with my parents, who have stopped into the great city of Los Angeles for the weekend. Okay, I also saw Ticket to, I saw Ticket to Paradise and Halloween Ends. Ooh. Yes. There we go. A, a quick and dirty Halloween Ends review, <laughs> since we're wrapping up Slasher Classics and doing a quick episode on Julia Roberts and George Clooney. So, the easy way for me to go about this is to say that I did not like this movie, but I think that a better way to say it is that there's an incompetence that is almost staggering in the way that uh, character motivations are presented. Mm. And you really need to have skill to make a character motivation that terrible. Mm. Yeah. So, sort of, uh, you know, just... For skill, there's sort of like a far end of the spectrum. Few have it, experts only. You need to actively try. A far left end of the spectrum, just like absolutely none. And then the middle is the rest of us, but this somehow escapes past the right and swoops back around <laughs> to the left. Very intriguing thoughts, Christian. I, I'm not sure if or when I'm going to see this. I caught up with Halloween Kills only recently. Which was not great. And it was not great. So it's a shame. I, I like David Gordon Green's Halloween, the original and his trilogy here, but the other two have not been so well received. So if you're looking for some Halloween counter-programming, that's what we're here to do. Because of course, we spent some time, as I mentioned, looking at slasher classics this month. We talked about the original Friday the 13th, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, and the first Scream, which all I, I enjoyed uh, in sort of increasing order. Christian, I know you have your problems with Friday and Nightmare, but definitely a Scream fan as well. So could have been worse, all in all, a good month, at least for me. But now we are here to divert our attentions to something more light and airy, that being Ticket to Paradise, with George Clooney and Julia Roberts, as well as a, a quick retrospective on their partnership over the years. Uh, Christian, did you have any interest in Ticket to Paradise? Because it it seems like a movie that to a certain type of person was like catnip, and to another type of movie fan, just complete lack of interest. It's doing well at the box office, so it seems like things are going well for it, but I'm curious what your interest was before I forced you to see it. I, okay, look, I believe that both George Clooney and Julia Roberts are talented, and I have seen them act well in things that I have seen, and uh, Ticket to Paradise's trailer was not something at all that interested me. Not one bit. And I watch rom-coms, and I like rom-coms. The trailer was... Famously putting My Best Friend's Wedding on your top five movies of, was that 97? 97. Julia Roberts is great in that. Absolutely fantastic in that. But, no, I... I I don't know, this 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 trailer looked like every other thing that I had seen in the past and 
and not new or exciting. Yeah, so no, no interest. I would have seen it, maybe, probably. So, so en basically, enough interest that if somebody was like, hey, do you want to go see this, you would have said yes, but maybe not have sought out yourself. Especially yes. with how many exciting and potentially high-quality movies are in theaters right now. October is really popping off. Oh, there's, there's, bro, there's so much, and AMC only gives me three movies a week. <laughs> well, I'm glad you could use one of them on Ticket to Paradise. Uh, just so folks know kind of what we're, what this episode will look like, we will have a brief review. It won't be a, a full length like we normally get into in our, our typical reviews, but then we'll spend some time talking about the other movies that George Clooney and Julia Roberts have made together. I, I wouldn't go so far to say that they are an iconic movie partnership. This is the first time they've acted together in a rom-com. It's no Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or Cary Grant and Cat Hepburn situation here. But they've appeared in some really good, or at least really interesting, uh, movies over the years. Working with interesting people, making different types of movies together. And so it's exciting to see them finally in a romantic comedy, but we'll spend some time talking about their other collaborations after our Ticket to Paradise review. So... Ticket to Paradise, directed by Al Parker, who is perhaps most known for directing Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which is a beloved movie for fans of those two Mamma Mia I haven't films. seen a single Mamma Mia movie. I, one of my movie hot takes is, I feel like I'm normally pretty populist. Like I tend to like movies that are well-liked and, and dislike movies that are more commonly disliked. I don't really break from the norm a ton, but not a huge fan of the original Mamma Mia, so probably going to lose some listeners for that, but... This is his fourth feature, and I, I believe he's he's written other scripts. I believe worked in some TV as well. I might have gotten that wrong, but directed by him. And as we like to do here, I want to shout out the writers quickly, written by him with Daniel Pipsky. So Ticket to Paradise follows the Cotton family. Georgia and David are a long-divorced couple whose only child, Lily, has recently graduated from uh, either... <laughs> college or law school it is unclear it's very unclear <laughs> but she has graduated she's received a degree and to celebrate she goes on a vacation to bali with her best friend and while she is there she meets and falls in love with G'day, who is a local seaweed farmer and lily decides to throw away a future that she was not very passionate about and follow G'day and, and chooses to get married to him and so georgia and david are forced to join forces as they travel around the world to not only attend their daughter's wedding, but hopefully break it up as well so she doesn't throw away her future. Very much a, <laughs> not only a common sort of rom-com plotline, breaking up a wedding, but one that our, our cast is familiar with, as Julia Roberts, of course, most famously has already done this in My Best Friend's Wedding, <laughs> a movie that we mentioned 30 seconds ago. So, Christian, you were saying about this movie. It's not particularly one that looked like it was doing a lot of new, something, newness with the formula. And it absolutely is not. <laughs> Ticket to Paradise is delightfully conventional in some respects, boringly conventional in others. Did you feel the same after watching the movie? I told you not to look at my Letterboxd review. That's true. I still have not seen it. I'm go you, you don't have to. I'm going to tell it to you. I, I figured. <laughs> I gave it one and a half stars out of five. One and a half stars out of five. And I said, I do not like this movie. It was boring. And that is it. That That is it. You also <laughs> tagged it AMC. So folks know <laughs> where you watched it. Did not like well, this movie. It was this boring. This movie is so boring. This movie does nothing. No one hears how it... I don't know. This is... I, I don't even think this is a paycheck job. Because, like, I 
Were they just trying to have fun? This I mean, is the, they can't be being paid that much money for this. Christian. For some reason, George Clooney and Julia Roberts are like, oh, wow, we're divorced parents who have to come together to stop something. I wonder how the movie will end. <laughs> I, I sure did as well. I want to ask you a quick question, Christian. How much do you think this movie cost? What was the budget? Just throw please, out a number. Please tell me it was not more than 40. That's your guess? My, my guess is 40. It was $60 million, Christian. How? How? <laughs> I can Where almost, did the money go I to? I can almost guarantee you that that $20 million gap between your guess and the actual number was sent directly to George Clooney and Julia Roberts' bank accounts. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that. This was a strangely expensive movie because normally movies of this caliber have two more than two actors of these two you know, the movie stars of this caliber. Caitlin Deaver co-stars as Lily, and she's obviously a star on the rise. She's appeared in a lot of movies, a lot of notable movies over the last five years, probably Booksmart being the most beloved that's she come was out in that, in that time. Emmy nominated for Dope Sick. Emmy nominated for Dope Sick. Fantastic in that, yes. Right, she is she's one of the, probably the best young actors working in Hollywood today, has a lot of fans herself, but... She is not quite a movie star on the same level as Clooney and Robert at this point. Also, she the, the movie forgets about her. The, the movie forgets about her. Like, it starts off sitting off how, you know, she she wanted to, she or she got a job at one of the premier law firms in Chicago. Again, unclear whether she was in law school or just undergrad yes. the entire time. But <laughs> then it entirely focuses on the interactions between George Clooney and Julia Roberts. It's just, it's their movie. They're going off to break off this marriage. And there are so many side tangents that do not lend themselves to anything. Like what? I'm still confused as as to what frick. What was Caitlyn Deaver's character's name? Lily. What was Lily's friend doing? Yes, Lily's, Lily's... friend just moves to Bali with her, basically. Right, Lily's what friend is here. What's going on? Ren, who's played by Billy Lord, who is also in Booksmart. She is perhaps most famous for being the daughter of Carrie Fisher and Brian Lord, but she's also trying to make her own Hollywood career happen. Her presence in the movie pretty much boils down to she's the best friend because every rom-com has a best friend character. And since Georgia and David don't really need a best friend character, she is Lily's best friend. And she does not really get a chance to be a character. She gets a chance to drunkenly stumble around every now and again. She has she's one good questions. scene with Clooney, but yeah, she's there to ask questions and <laughs> move and the plot along. not give any opinions. There was this one scary moment where we for sure thought that he and Clooney were gonna hook up. Her and Clooney. Sorry, I got confused. Yeah, yeah, they they sit down at a hotel bar together, which is one of honestly the the better scenes in the movie. And but thankfully, you're definitely thinking. I, I was worried. I was very worried because they do set up Ren as a little bit of a party girl in comparison to Lily, and she is a, at the very beginning in one of the first scenes of the movie is like literally taking an entire box of condoms and throwing it into her suitcase. You know, she's set up as the the more fun-loving friend in comparison to Lily. So you do get concerned that if one of them makes a move, that's where this movie could go. And thankfully, they do not go that route. <laughs> but yeah, she's not not the best character here. I will say, I did not find Ticket to Paradise boring. And I, I will 100% agree in that it is iterative. It is derivative. It is not very original. Julie Roberts is playing... The character she has played for yeah. 35 years of her career. She she has been, like, did this again in My Best Friend's Wedding. Not only is she, has she done that, we're seeing her try to break up a wedding here, 
She played a curator in the Oceans franchise, notably, and she's a curator here. <laughs> she has her own gallery, the Georgia Cotton Gallery. Uh, and, and, and Clooney is, he is, I wouldn't say stretching himself by any sense of the imagination. But where I think Ticket to Paradise succeeds, and, and where I fear that you may not have interest yourself, because this isn't always up your alley, is that as just a, a movie star vehicle, one that we haven't gotten a ton of over the last 10 to 15 years, as blockbusters have become even more important to the movie industry, as the MCU has really taken over Fast and Furious, etc., as we've talked about before, as just a down-the-middle, crowd-pleasing movie star vehicle, I think Ticket to Paradise succeeds. And it's not a movie where you're gonna you're gonna get the Blu-ray and you'll watch it with friends for 20 years. You'll listen to podcast episodes about it, read the oral history of Ticket to Paradise. But it is a pleasant and diverting time at the movies, one that we don't get nearly enough of these days. And the fact that they were able to make it for an exorbitant budget, <laughs> put it out in theaters, as opposed to dumping it on Hulu or Peacock or Netflix or any other streaming service, just put a smile on my face. I okay. Okay, the interactions between Clooney and Roberts are very pleasant. They 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 have charisma going in spades, and they they've been a, doing this yeah, for such a long time. Extraordinary amount of chemistry. And it, it almost feels like they could just be phoning it in because it comes a second hand to them. And here is where I think this is not a movie star vehicle because they both basically own chicago it looks like or they own their respective businesses that they're doing for some reason roberts's character has like an entire museum she, which, well, she's an art gallery she's a curator okay but it was very big yeah much bigger than i think regular curators do and i don't what well, it, i mean is Clooney like an architect <laughs> yes something? he's an architect okay for me to enjoy them as movie stars i would have liked to you know see them boss around some people and actually be we get like five second snippets of them at their jobs and we know that roberts has a younger boyfriend who for some reason yes, is there he it's he, paul who's played by lucas bravo he serves absolutely no purpose he he he, he is yeah he's an obstacle he's just <laughs> the new boyfriend that we all know david is going to he's fend off by the boyfriend. end of the movie she it shows so little how much she cares about him and it's i guess i would have liked more time seeing them individually in their spheres of influence and not in bali well with, i mean that's that's not the point of the movie you know like also all the bali <laughs> characters are props yeah that that is another negative to the movie which thankfully in a a worse time in hollywood these people would have been butts of the joke like they would have been making fun of the local culture and that that would have been part of the comedy and thankfully the indonesian people who are a part of the movie are there not uh not to be made fun of but to of course provide uh family for good day and be this culture that is welcoming lily in but we spent no time with any of them individually. right there, there's only one scene in the movie that doesn't feature one of the white characters there's one scene with good and his parents uh, on the the day of the wedding and it, it did make me you know, it's like, I'm really glad that we have this George and Julia vehicle. I loved watching them together. They are deliriously entertaining as a pair. But you do get a sense that this just wasn't the... If they were going to break up a wedding, it, maybe it didn't have to be one where we're incorporating another culture. That You get the sense that there's a entirely separate movie that's not a comedy. It's more dramatic and ha can potentially 
obviously have its own success where you just have the young farmer welcoming the white American girl into his family. And you feel like there's an entirely separate story there with all kinds uh, of themes to explore and things that would make it more unique. Uh, especially, obviously this is a Hollywood movie, but if it were made from that perspective. But that movie wouldn't get $60 million to get made, unfortunately. And so, it, it, Ticket to Paradise is absolutely imperfect. And you do get the sense that there are better versions of it, there's better movies uh, that could have been made with similar material. And the balance is a little bit off when you think about who is featured on screen. I, I will say the tension that you mentioned between Lily and wanting her to be her own character, have screen time, and her parents, who are notably played by giant movie stars, there is a, a tension the movie is kind of wrestling with the entire screen time, or the runtime. They, they want to keep putting Julia and George in comedic situations, but they have to develop Lily's story because her wedding is what's driving the action of the movie. So there are times when it did feel a little imbalanced. And I, I personally, as a viewer, wanted more time with Clooney and Roberts, but <laughs> needed to see... Uh, Deaver, and I should say that G'day is played by Maxime Boutier. So, more time with Boutier and, and Deaver. See their relationship blossom, because we don't even get a ton of time with the two of them. They're just in love, and the action is rolling. So, so here, here is then where this would have been a better movie easily. You just have Clooney and Roberts as divorced individuals who find a reason to get back together, and they don't need to make it flying over to Bali and understanding how great Bali is. This is such a rich people movie. This is such a white people movie. It is ridiculous. It's also kind of comedic how white this movie is, considering that most of the characters are non-white. But, yeah, you know, not my thing. People who like it, sure. Glad that, you know, you enjoy it. And I am probably never going to watch this movie ever again. <laughs> And, you know, I could see myself maybe checking it out down the road if I'm on a plane or something. <laughs> it's out there to download. But when it comes to watching, some, like, that's where you and I differ in some respects, is that George Clooney and Julia Roberts are enough. This movie could have been worse, and I probably still would have enjoyed it, seeing their, their banter back and forth and watching their characters fall back in love. Because part of the joy of a rom-com is you know where the formula is heading 95% of the time. You can predict how the movie's going to end. And if we spoil this movie, people probably wouldn't be surprised at how we spoil it. There's very little that is a shock to the system. And that's part of the draw of the romantic comedy formula. And so if you're a fan of rom-coms, you'll probably have a good time with Ticket to Paradise. You're, you're not going to Again, you're not going to buy the Blu-ray and return to it time and time again, but it might be worth a trip to the movies for you. And so if that's down your alley, check it out. Or just see it whenever it's on a streaming service. Make a movie night of it. Invite some friends over. Watch it with your partner. You'll have a good time. So that is Ticket to Paradise. A movie, like I said, Christian, that is performing very well at the box office. It made quite a bit of money before it even debuted in the States. It was opened internationally in a few markets. And now it's not only got its budget back, but it is moving towards that $100 million number. So we'll see how well George and Julia do. I don't understand. I mean, what's I, not I, to understand, I, I, really? I, <laughs> I, I want to I break down of the demographics. I mean... This is some old white people people. That's probably what it is. But people who love rom-coms and wish that they were in theaters are going out to see this movie. I mean, people who well, love George Clooney and Julia Roberts are going out to see this movie. They're, I, I they're still so, beloved. Because Lost City made a crap ton of money earlier this year. Lost, the Lost City made a lot of money this year. And, and, and in some I respects... Like they, I still haven't seen it, although I would like to. Sandra Bullock? God yeah. bless her. Channing Tatum? 
is a, is a huge movie star. And, he, and he's Brad Pitt, huge movie star. People that can still draw people to movies. Um, I honestly think that part of the reason for the success of these movies is just counter-programming because a certain section of the movie going public is starting to lose interest in superhero stuff. And it's not to say that they're going to stop making money at the box office. I'm sure Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to be a huge movie when that comes out later. I mean, in just a couple weeks at this point. We're going to talk about it eventually. Indeed we are. And, and, and even so, I think that there's going to, at post you know, pandemic, I think that we're going to start seeing a bit of an uptick in the types of movies that can make money again. That's a little bit of a hot take for me because most people don't see that happening. But I think there's a hope and there's a chance. I think that there's a hope mainly because streamers are becoming more expensive and realizing that they're losing money. And so they, I think, yeah. are going to dedicate less of their time to making movies. So I'm, I I mean, I, I agree with you because 2019, pre like, and, and even 2020, before the pandemic, we had movies like 1917 making hundreds of millions of dollars. There's, it wasn't that long ago when The Revenant made over $500 million. The Revenant made $500 million. Like When you think about that, it's insane. A two-hour and like 40-minute movie yes. where Leo struggles in the cold wilderness. <laughs> and that made hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to say Silver Linings Playbook made over $100 million. Like, uh, Probably the, did. The, the time is not was not that long ago. And the pandemic had everyone clutching their pearls. And I get it, but, you know, I think we're going to, maybe we're not going to get back to the point where every single movie out there that we sort of like will make at least 100 million. But I think we can get to a point where every movie we sort of like makes at least 60 million. And that's good enough for me. Yeah, we're, we're not going to return to where movies were in even, you know, the 90s, where there's this boom in independent cinema, rom-coms are extraordinarily popular, there's great horror movies being made, Scream brings the slasher back, and you're starting to get superhero stuff in the 90s, mainstream superhero stuff. Um, of course, th this goes back way before the 90s, we had Superman in the 70s, but superhero action movies are just kind of part of the the stew that we're putting out in theaters the big movies of the 90s weren't all weren't you know nine out of ten franchise films obviously those tended to do well but uh, I, I really do hope that we can get back to just some more diversity at the box office because it, it'd be great to see movies like ticket to paradise especially better movies than ticket to paradise Take some spots in that, maybe not that annual box office top 10, but in terms of like the top 25 most successful movies of the year. I mean, a movie like Crazy Rich Asians was a huge smash success, again, just a few short years ago. So, this is, this is, fingers crossed. This is one last thing, and we, sh we should move on, because we're, we're also, the movies we're going to talk about, we're going to go, go rapid fire on them. Yeah, this, they will not be in-depth reviews, that's for sure. Um, okay, so the, the Marvel puts out three movies a year at this point, which is an increase from their one and two. Or at, there was a point where it was just like a movie a year. Now, because they have increased to three or four last year, it was like, man, we go out to the movies four times a year because we're in this pandemic and this is the only thing that we care that's being marketed. But we've gotten to that point where people are more comfortable going to the movies and they realize that they want to go see a movie more than just four times a year. Right. And that's where we're seeing things like Lost City make massive amounts of money. Halloween ends, I mean, it's tanking at the box office this weekend, but opened up to $80 million. Yeah, so, horror movies will always succeed at the box office. And so, y'all, 
you know, if you want to go see Ticket to Paradise, um, I don't think you should. But <laughs> I do. Do it. But you know, you know, go, 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 go watch some films. Go watch All Quiet on the Western Front. Quite uh, a different type of movie than Ticket to Paradise. I was going to say go see Lyle Lyle Crocodile, but I'll, <laughs> I'll hold back that recommendation. That is a movie I will almost assuredly never see until we do a Have Javier you... Bardem top 10 blend of the month. Have you seen Have you seen um, Amsterdam yet? No, I still Bro. have not seen Amsterdam. Go with Maddie. The stars have not aligned. I, I guess we've been reveling in the release of Midnight's, which is the new Taylor Swift album. We are been so under a rock. far away from whatever this podcast was started. What are we talking about? Oh, we, we're not far did... away at all, Christian, because George Clooney and Julia Roberts are part of a dying breed. Movie stars who can open up a movie, and hopefully they resurge as franchise entertainment maybe takes a slight dip in the coming years. But of course, we're here to look back on their other collaborations. I, like I said, they're not an iconic pair, but they have made four movies, now five, with Ticket to Paradise over I've the seen years. Two of those. Three have, with Ticket to Paradise. Yes. I have now seen all of them, and I'm, I'm happy to report on each of them. So we'll just kind of walk through the four quickly, give some general thoughts, and talk about kind of where the, the Clooney-Roberts pairing succeeds and, and where it falters. So the very first movie they made together is an iconic one for sure it is of course oceans 11 which is soderbergh's 2001 remake that is widely beloved as one of the best blockbusters of recent memory stars clooney of course as danny ocean leading an ensemble cast brad pitt matt damon bernie mac Andy garcia elliot gould casey affleck scott Kahn, john cheadle and so on uh, but of course, Julia Roberts stars as Tess Ocean, Danny's ex-wife now dating Benedict, the, the villain and casino owner. Ocean's Eleven is a movie that we actually briefly discussed on the podcast a long time ago. I don't even remember the streaming recommendations episode that it came from, Christian. Do you? We were, we were talking about ensembles, and so I chose Ocean's Eleven, and you chose The Departed, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and funnily enough, Christian, I know that Ocean's Eleven, you were a little bit outside the norm in that you thought it was fine, but you weren't a huge fan, and it still made for a good choice for that particular recommendation. But part of the strength of this movie is that sparkling chemistry between Clooney and Roberts as Danny and Tess. And we do get to see them early on, before the heist unfolds, of course, as Danny makes his way into the casino and finds her for the first time since he was, of course, broken out of, not broken out of prison, but released from prison at the very beginning. Okay, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Part of the strength of that movie is not the chemistry between Clooney and Julia Roberts. Christian. Julia Roberts is in for, like, five to ten minutes of this movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So, it better work <laughs> for those five to ten minutes. <laughs> it, it, is, it is the epitome... Of, of just being happy that we're surrounded by movie stars. We don't even get that many scenes where Roberts and Clooney are together. It's just like, oh, look, Julia Roberts is here. Isn't that great? And well, for I mean, someone like you, you know, that is great. There, for someone like me, I don't care. So you say someone like you so derisively. There, there is something to it, of course, because we are following not just the... the I mean, Ocean's Eleven is a very archetypal heist film in a number of ways. And so much of the first hour is spent getting the you know the old gang back together to pull off this heist. And we hear so much about each of their individual motivations for the job, whether you know it's paying off debts, getting rich quick, or something else. 
And for Danny, of course, he is a thief released from prison, and his motivation is not only to make money, but of course it's to rip off the guy who has stolen his ex-wife, who he is still in love with and no longer loves him because he was lying about what his career was and then went to prison for it. And so we're building up to that scene, and we finally get to see them together, and they get a chance to act across from one another and build the bond that Danny and Tess share. And that scene is great. And even though they don't have a ton of actual moments together in that movie, it's one of the key moments from the movie. No. Um, no, I, I I, don't think so. I think... <laughs> open up your damn heart, Christian. <laughs> I. Okay, okay. You want me to open it up? I like Ocean's 12. I think Ocean's what? 12 is the better movie. This is a stunning revelation. <laughs> I really like Ocean's 12. What because, in the heck? <laughs> because we're not just... Guess what? You get, instead of 5 to 10 minutes of Julia Roberts, you get 10 to 20. <laughs> Amazing. You get Christian two. likes Ocean's 12. Who would have thunk? Not me. Not me at all. Okay, it's actually about their dynamics, and it's actually about character development. And because you set them all up from the first movie, the heist is more elaborate, and the stakes are higher, and who they are as people actually matters. And guess what? It's still not on the relationship between Roberts and Clooney because they have so few scenes together. I don't buy their love at all. Oh, tiff, tiff, Christian. Those two, those two can make me believe in anything. But it's a good movie, and both of them know, I don't know, both of them, you know, are, are, are great at being like, yeah, I'm a movie star. Yes. And they absolutely this understand is, the persona. But it's not just a yeah, I'm a movie star. It's also yeah, I'm a movie star and I can act. I feel like Ocean's Eleven is just yeah, I'm a movie star. And that is far better than we often get these days. And that collection of actors is again. That's because there aren't that many movie stars. Re, yeah, there's not. And Ocean's Eleven is ridiculously entertaining, and not the least of which because it's you got Clooney and Pitt and Damon but also just an extraordinary amount of fun people acting in an extraordinarily fun genre when it's executed well. Ocean's 12, of course, the 2004 sequel, also directed by Soderbergh that takes the gang abroad, starts with Danny and Tess back together, of course, because we know how these movies end. And thankfully, nobody dies at the end of Ocean's 11, and they get to start the movie as a couple once again and doing mundane things as they try to avoid Terry Benedict, the jilted villain of the first movie, and for Ocean's 12, he, of course, tracks everybody down, pulls them back together, and threatens them with, honestly, I can't remember what the threat is. It's like, I'll kill you, or I'll just turn you into the cops, or whatever it is, unless they can reimburse him. And so they have to go abroad to pull off a job in Europe. So it's the, the European trip of Ocean's 12. And again, not a ton of scenes with Clooney and Roberts. But it's a better movie for Julia Roberts. She gets to partake in one of the most ridiculous and enjoyable scenes in any blockbuster of that era. Tess plays Julia <laughs> across from a movie star cameo that I will not spoil if you have not seen Ocean's 12. But uh, yeah, just another very good time with the movies. And Christian, I'll have to say, I, I, I obviously am pretty shocked that you like this in particular because Ocean's 12 has sort of, the general consensus is that it is a lesser movie than Ocean's Eleven. In Ocean's Thirteen, they go back to Vegas to pull a different heist in Vegas because of the reaction to Ocean's Twelve. But for a lot of people, Twelve 
either it's the better movie or it's on the same level because of what it's doing, which is having fun with the actual careers of the stars in it. You know, Damon as the young guy on the rise, Clooney, or, yeah, Clooney and Pitt as the established guys who are trying to prevent him from coming along. Tess, of course, literally plays Julia Roberts, and they're having a lot more fun with that. Plus, we get the introduction of Catherine Zeta-Jones as uh, Brad Pitt's Rusty Ryan, you know, as his love interest from the past, who is now, of course, back in the picture, and Vincent Cassell as their European villain. So just another very fun movie that is, in some respects, a little bit more metatextual than the first Oceans, but I'm glad you liked it. Christian. I did like it. Now, there are two movies I have not seen that you have seen. Indeed, I have, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch on them briefly. Uh, if you are looking to have fun with the Oceans Gang once again, or if you want to check out Oceans 12 for the first time, or maybe you actually missed the original. They're all on Netflix right now. They're all on Netflix. So I would strongly recommend you do it. Oceans 13, for me, is, it's fine. It's just kind of Oceans 11 round two, and so it lacks some of that sparkle that the original had, but they put Al Pacino in as the villain, and he's ridiculous, <laughs> and it's just, a, in general, a pretty good time. So quickly, the other couple of movies that George Clooney and Julia Roberts have made together, just chronologically, first was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which was George Clooney's directorial debut, a movie with a very complicated behind-the-scenes story. He was not set to direct it early on. There was a long list of people, uh, including the director of My Best Friend's Wedding, P.J. Hogan, <laughs> who was attached to that movie. Uh, many, many others. David Fincher, at one point, was considered to direct... Um, I'm forgetting the last name that was coming to mind, but someone had cast Johnny Depp in this movie before they both left the project. And eventually, Sam Rockwell was cast as the lead, which is Chuck Barris, who's a real-life figure. This is an adaptation of his potentially fictional autobiography because it follows Chuck Barris on his rise through the ranks of game show television. He was a very famous uh, game show TV producer of the 60s and 70s. And he alleges that he was also recruited by the CIA to be an assassin. And so it features his alleged journeys with the CIA. So a, a not only a very ridiculous, potentially real, real-life story, but it was also written by Charlie Kaufman. And Kaufman is one of, the, one of the few famous screenwriters these days. He's gotten his chance to direct as well. People will definitely know him from I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which released in 2020. I mean, he wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But he wrote Mind, Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He wrote Adaptation. Being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich. And so he definitely has his fans. Is widely considered one of the best working screenwriters. And this was a script of his that apparently got a little bit taken out of his hands by Clooney and the producers. I will say, pretty solid debut from Clooney as a director, but if you're coming to this movie for George Clooney and Julia Roberts, while you will get to see them and enjoy them, they actually don't share any scenes together. There um, may, may be a, a brief glimpse that I am forgetting. Uh, this is primarily Sam Rockwell's movie. Clooney plays the CIA agent who recruits Barris, and Julia Roberts plays Patricia, who is one of his contacts that he meets on the mission, who is you know, used again by the organization throughout his, his adventures. Uh, and I will say, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is, it's sort of lost to time. It was lukewarm, received with mixed reviews. And there it had its fans, Roger Ebert gave it a three and a half out of four, but it also had its critics. And obviously, it didn't really make a huge impact at, either at the box office or with awards. And so it's a little bit lost to time. Um, you know, it's for some people, it's a mediocre movie, so of course it should be. But 
as Clooney's directorial debut, as one of the movies that helped to launch Sam Rockwell into the leading man that he would become for the rest of his career. Drew Barrymore also co-stars here, uh, along with some other faces that you will recognize, like Rutger Hauer. I honestly think it's a worthwhile movie to check out. Uh, maybe not one that you should go running and sprinting out to go find and rent from whatever store is available to you, but it, it's a cool watch. Uh, Kaufman's script, of course, although it wasn't his final, his true final product, is quite fun as it takes us through the, the different adventures of his life, and Clooney applies kind of an absurd amount of style into the movie, especially as a first-time director, like really trying hard to be like, I directed this movie. And... I think it's fine and you could have a good time with it, but if you're attracted to any of these pieces, whether it's Clooney as a director, Kaufman as a writer, Rockwell as an actor, definitely worth your time if you're particular, particularly interested in either or any of those pieces. That's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and the right. real life story of Chuck Barris is fascinating. Presented here, he was actually a consultant on the movie, so Wait. presented with, who, who knows how real it was. Where is it? Where is it streaming? It is not streaming anywhere right now. Um, actually, it's streaming somewhere. We're going to find it. it. It was on a source that I didn't have. Um, one of these movies is on Stars, and one is on Showtime, I'm pretty sure. The other movie is I actually... Let me just... I have it pulled up here now. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is streaming on Stars if you okay. have it. So check it out there, or you can rent it like I did. And the last one's Moneyball. The last one is not Moneyball, unfortunately. That's Brad Pitt. The last no, not one Moneyball. Money Monster. Money Monster, yes. Which is directed by another actor, directed by Jodie Foster. It's right, right, right. Her most recent movie, although she did direct an episode of Black Mirror after this. Um, she does not appear in the movie. It does star Clooney as Lee Gates, who is the host of a financial TV show that is, uh, you know, they didn't say in the movie, but sort of modeled after Mad Money and Jim Cramer, if Anyone out there is familiar with it? I'm only familiar with it because my grandfather used to watch that show and he lived with us for a time, so I would occasionally see it on the TV. But Clooney stars as this financial host who offers, of course, occasionally suspect advice. Roberts plays Patty, who is the director of the show, and he's very close. They're both sort of getting towards the end of their times with this show. And then Jack O'Connell plays Kyle Budwell, who enters the picture in a way, uh, of course, that uh, upends everything. As he shows up to the show with a bomb that he straps on to Lee Gates and a gun that he threatens everybody in the studio with. Amazing. Demands his opportunity to speak, and of course, and get his message across. Um, there, in the background of this, there's also a, uh, I guess I would call it a hedge fund that has seen a massive dip in its stock price due to some failures in their algorithm, and Budwell is affected by this. Clooney was, uh, or Gates was a fan of the stock and so there's some complicated complications that get brought into the story as they try to figure out why this company lost all that money and what went down uh and can they get to the bottom of it to try to save gates's life uh, i'm i really would encourage you to see it christian because you were similar to prime time very similar to prime time you were a massive fan and i don't know if the the guy who wrote and directed prime time watched money monster and was like i can do this better or if you wanted to just provide his, his own cultural spin on it. Of course, Polish movie, primetime. But Money Monster is definitely the Hollywood version of this. There is <laughs> more violence. We get some, you know, a huge NYPD presence involved. They actually, you know, at one point, I will say things expand. I won't say how so, because this is not a very widely seen movie. But things expand beyond the studio that they spend the first hour of the movie in. And all in all, it actually is pretty quick. It's uh, about 90 minutes, and, and then the credits roll. And so it 
has a few fans. Again, another movie that is not part that was not particularly well received at the time, made decent money at the box office, and now it was just out there as a movie that George Clooney starred in. It's just but out there. It's just out there. But you actually do get some chemistry between Clooney and Roberts here. They do get to act together, and ironically, they only appear on screen together at the very beginning. And I won't say you know if or when they get together uh, later on, but they spend a huge portion of the movie with her speaking to him through his earpiece that he wears, just as hosts of TV shows right, do right, right. with their their directors and and uh, you know the producers speaking to them. So. It's, it's an interesting movie in, in some respects. At other times, it's just kind of conventional and, and boring, but um, at, at sometimes things kind of really hum along for like 10 to 15 minutes, especially as they introduce this conspiracy with the, this hedge fund. And you try to figure out what went wrong. Uh, there are moments where you're like, you get a little annoyed at how this is not how these powerful people would ever act in a million years in real life, but then you remind yourself you're watching a movie and <laughs> you just try to get along, uh, get along for the ride. So that is Money Monster. It's, uh, again, not, uh, not a movie that will become your favorite movie of 2016. Not a movie that you'll be like, How, where have this movie been my entire life? But definitely a chance that you try it and you're like, hey, that was totally worth uh, the recommendation there. Because Clooney is really, really good as okay. Gates. Roberts is also really good as his director. And she gets a chance to like really start running not just the show to keep him alive, but builds this very tenuous relationship with Budwell as the guy who's trying to blow up the studio and she tries to manage the situation and uh, of course gets her chance to do it occasionally. So this is actually streaming on the Roku channel. So all of you folks out there who have a Roku or a Roku TV might get a chance to see it for Amen. free, at yeah. least with ads. Otherwise it is rentable a variety of places. Amazing. And that is George Clooney and Julia Roberts. All in all, a tandem that feels like we we sort of missed out on what could have been in terms of maybe a better rom-com between the two of them with Ticket, something like Ticket to Paradise, or even a, a, a better series of dramatic movies, whether it's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind or Money Monster. But I really love the two of these people. They're two of my favorites when it comes to just movie stars to watch. Where, where do you land with them, Christian? And then we can, we can wrap things up from here. They're, I don't know. They're not of my time. There and I don't say that derogatively. There are movie stars that I love from the '90s and from the '80s and from the '70s. Like I wish, you know, I had been alive when Matthew Broderick had gone on his little run. But they, I, I, I feel like I. They are in movies that I enjoy. There are in some movies that I love. But when when it comes to this, legitimately, I get much more excited when I see that Bradley Cooper and uh, Jennifer Lawrence are going to be in another movie together. And that's the honestly the closest example, specifically coming off of freshly watching Silver Linings Playbook. I thought to myself, I remember when American Hustle was coming out and how excited I was because I loved them in the movie I'd seen before. And that is not how I view George Clooney and Julia Roberts. That I mean, in a way, that's fair because they're they're both their peak of their powers moments were probably in the '90s when uh, you know Clooney was on ER and made the jump from TV to movies back when people did that and didn't make the jump from movies to TV. And of course, Julia Roberts had her breakout in the 90s, wins an Oscar early on in the 2000s for Aaron Brockovich, Clooney shortly after her for Syriana. And now they've just, they have been around for a long time. They're sort of, unfortunately, because time marches on, <laughs> they're into their 50s now and they're people who are aging uh, in Hollywood, which of course, Hollywood doesn't always treat its its aging stars, especially women, with respect. So 
we'll see if these two get a chance to continue to act together or even separately after Ticket to Paradise and its, its success here. But I really, you know, I, I've loved Clooney for a while. I'm a more recent fan of Julia Roberts because I didn't grow up on her movies and I've only started watching them over the past five or six years or so. And honestly, she's now just kind of a go-to person for me. I, I, I tend to really enjoy her movies. Uh, and so I'm hopeful to see some more, uh, not just of their work individually, but hopeful to see them together as well, because I think they do make a pretty great pair. And that is our show. Uh, of course, this does wrap up October here on the Cinema Drip podcast. We talked horror movies and their opposite, rom-com here with Ticket to Paradise. So Christian, I turn it now to you because we have a new blend of the month coming for November and it's time to keep people informed. So what do we got coming up? For the month of November, we are going to be looking at the movies of James Cameron in anticipation of Avatar The Way of Water. Now, we have already touched on Titanic this year. Indeed Our we did. first year, we did Avatar's a streaming recommendations episode. Indeed we did. The and Billion Dollar episode with Keenan and Case episode. in Color. And shout out to Emily Baker as well, who was on our Titanic episode. She was, yes. Uh, I'm not sure if... I'm, I'm still debating whether or not we should talk ta- um, Avatar as a full-length review. I think we will, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it because there are some gems that are streamable right now. Uh, but we are going to start by looking at Terminator and Terminator 2. So it's going to be both written, the entire concept James, it came to James Cameron as a dream where he saw the silhouette of the Terminator... Now, I don't believe that Terminator is streaming anywhere except for maybe Fubo TV, but Terminator 2 is currently available on HBO Max. You know, Christian, Big Jim dreams about skeletal robots chasing him in his dreams. I dream about why I don't have a subscription to Fubo TV yet, because I feel like every time we wonder if a movie is streaming for this show, it's It's on on Fubo Fubo, TV. According to the good people at Just Watch, the Terminator is on Fubo TV, AMC+, Showtime and DirecTV. If you're a subscriber there, you can maybe access it for free. So, a few unconventional streaming options, but. Go to the library. And T2, it looks like, is on HBO Max right now, at least according to Just Watch. So, we're going to do that. He is a a writer-director who has made some of the biggest blockbusters and some of the best-known stories of all time. And he is also a breed that I don't think has ever existed a ton, and and this is why. He is very interested in man versus nature. He is very interested in man versus machine against the supernatural or stuff. He's not that interested in man versus man. And so this is this is not a type of story that we always get to see. Yeah, he is really one of the signature filmmakers uh, at least of hollywood blockbuster films his movies have not only extraordinary financial track records but also just remain as classics terminator kicked off a massive franchise terminator 2 was considered one of the best action movies ever made aliens is considered uh, one of the best aliens is considered made, one yeah. of the best science fiction movies ever made titanic's probably the best <laughs> disaster movie ever made yeah i mean like he is just an extraordinarily successful filmmaker uh, proud owner of a Best Director Oscar and a Best Picture Oscar. I mean, it'll, it'll be really fun to get to dive into some of his work. And most of these movies that we're going to talk about, I, I, I know they've already seen, but I do have some blind spots that hopefully we'll get to catch up with as we make it through the month. I mean, you're going to have to because we're ending the month by ranking all of James Cameron's movies. All right. So there, <laughs> I forgot that's what we're doing to end the, uh, the month there. So 
I will have to fill in those blind spots. I need to watch The Abyss. Let's go watch The Abyss, Christian. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. So now that uh, once and truly is our show here. So, of course, thank you so much for listening. If you have reached this point in the podcast, it means a lot for us uh, to know that there are people out there listening and following along with the show here. So thank you so much for your support. Uh, there are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show that really help us grow and reach new listeners. Number one, please give us a subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And if applicable, leave a rating or a review. Warms our hearts to see those five-star reviews come in. And we love to shout the folks out who do leave reviews. So thank you for those who have in the past. And we're looking forward to shouting out some more in the future. You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We are regularly checking that and incorporating listener feedback into the shows. Would really genuinely love to get some thoughts on uh, whether it's previous Bloods of the Month or what you want to see us cover as we get into the end of the year. November is planned, obviously, but December is still open. We do have one uh, episode that we definitely know we're doing in December. but December's not open. Well, we'll, we'll have the, the third annual Drippies. And then we have the episode before that. And then we have this very special episode before that. So I guess it's not entirely open. We have some... Not open at all! We've, we got some things... Well, I mean, we take a break... For a week, don't we? Is it two weeks? Am I forgetting? What? What about January's open? Just go with that. January's open. January's open. We could return to a year in the seventies as we've done the last two years, which it's crazy to think that the show has been running for that long. But we really would sincerely love your feedback, whether or not it gets incorporated in December or January or when it will. Uh, we have used listener feedback before. We did a, a Magic May in 2021, thanks to listener Paul Gonzalez, for example. So would sincerely love some ideas or feedback and we will shout out literally any email on the show as long as it's not like hideously obscene or profane or extremely mean towards me or christian scratch that christian would probably read an email that was super mean towards me so do that might get you shouted out on the show here you can also follow myself and the show on twitter christian on instagram and both of us are on letterboxd christian alluded to his ticket to paradise review of course on reddit in its entirety uh, but we would both appreciate if you would give us a follow there, and we would be happy to chat movies on Letterboxd. Uh, Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? There are so many movies out in October that I have to see. So many movies that I have not seen either. <laughs> There's so much out there. At least I saw Tickets to Paradise. Am I right? Am I right? No, I think that you're wrong. <laughs> Well, I feel very right about that. But until next time, I'm Scott, he's Christian, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.